0: We're reading this morning from Amos um, chapter 5 verses 10 to 15 and 21 to 24 it's page 748 in your um, pew bibles there are those who hate the ones who uphold justice in court and detest the ones who tell the truth you levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain therefore though you have built stone mansions you will not live in them though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. It was a pretty happy reading after such a beautiful morning, hey? <laughs> oh, anyway, I'm just, it's so beautiful. Um, so Sam, of course, weren't, wasn't able to mention um, their names, which is an opportunity for you to, when you introduce yourself to them and congratulate them, to ask them uh, their names. Just beautiful. We're so thankful for you and that the way that God has led you to himself, and brought you to our community. So that's just wonderful. Do you know the phrase, just desserts? A little bit of nodding. Eh, Maybe it's old enough that I'm starting to, I guess I'm aging myself here. Uh, So when you say in English, just desserts is one of those expressions that in English it can be hard to understand. I mean, it sounds like you're talking about eating a meal that is only sweets, right? Right? Just desserts. It's a complicated phrase because in English, the word just has multiple meanings. Just can mean only, like there's only one, there's just one, right? It can mean exactly as in there's exactly enough or there's just enough. It can mean barely or it can mean possibly, (laughs) right? Though the expression just desserts, it's actually none of those because just also means what is right what is good, what is lawful, what is properly, proper, what is morally upright. It is the word we use when we speak of justice. And as for desserts, in this case, it isn't the sweet thing we end up to eat at the end of a meal. In this case, dessert dessert that we eat at the end of a meal has two S's in the middle. But in just desserts, it actually only has one S in the middle which normally in English we'd pronounce as desert, just to make this even more fun. But desert can either be an arid place with little vegetation, you know, like a desert in Arizona, you think sand and rock. But a desert can also be a place where no one lives, like a desert island. A desert island is lushed with vegetation, right? So the word desert doesn't, is an annoying word as well. Uh, and of course, if it's a if it's a If an island is all sand, then I guess it's a desert, desert island. But just as in just desserts, dessert with one S is actually a very old word that we don't even use outside of this expression. And it means what someone deserves. So in this way, just desserts means what is properly or rightfully deserved. Which, of course, you may be thinking, the proper thing I deserve is a meal that is only dessert. (laughs) In which case, your just dessert is just dessert. Now, I am trying to confuse you now. Isn't English just... (laughs) I know I've said this before. It's a terrible language. (laughs) So just dessert is a way of saying you're going to get what's coming to you, right? You're going to get what you deserve. So, for example, if someone robs a store at gunpoint, gets arrested and put in jail they got their just desserts, what they deserve for their actions by getting put in jail. If an athlete uses banned drugs to enhance their performance, getting their just desserts is to get caught and to get banned from the sport. In the case of the passage that Marcy read for us, the Israelites and their leaders were oppressing the innocent. They were taking bribes. They were depriving the poor of justice in their legal system. And the prophet Amos, who wrote, This says that their just deserts is that they will be punished for their injustice. But as God is always God, if they turn from their injustice and do what is right, then Amos says this in in 5, verses 5, 14 to 15. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. In other words, if they repent from injustice and turn towards goodness, their just deserts, what they properly deserve in God's eyes, is that that God will have mercy on them. And God, this is one thing that can be really frustrating, but God's mercy is relentless, and he keeps offering it time and time again. He will never stop offering it. In the Hebrew Bible, what we often call the Old Testament, there's a strong theme of if you choose what is right and good, you will be blessed, but if you choose what is wrong and evil, there will be curses. And then God says when they go against that, there are consequences, and then he still says to them again, I will forgive you if you just turn from evil, seek good. I will be with you. You say I'm with you, but I'm not actually with you when you act like this. But if you act, if you seek good, not evil, then I will be with you like you think that I am. Over the last couple of months, we've spoken a lot about what is good, what is tov. Tov as the Hebrew word for good. And in this passage, we see the word tov, good, is all over the place. You may have noticed that as Marcy was reading. We also see two other words, which are extremely important words in the Hebrew Bible for what it means to be good, what it means to be tov. And these words are justice and righteousness. And like the English words, just and deserts, Justice and righteousness can be a real challenge challenge to understand in English. Because in English, they are abstract nouns. Abstract is in they are words that represent abstract ideas. They're kind of floating around. It's this nebulous, intangible, hard to explain and hard to understand ideas. But in ancient Hebrew, the words righteousness and justice are not nebulous, theoretical, abstract. In ancient Hebrew, they are, they are not concepts you reflect on, but they are things that you do. They are about how you live, how you work, how you worship. They are not simply philosophic ideals to discuss over a pint of beer. But as we discussed, as we discussed regarding, not discussed as in gross, but discussed as in talked about, another one of those fun English words, as we discussed regarding the word just, Justice is what is right, what is good, what is lawful, what is proper, what is morally upright. Justice is to put things right, to intervene in a situation that is oppressive or evil, to judge the situation properly, and to respond with what is morally upright. Righteousness is very similar in that it is to do what is right. The word right is right in there, righteousness, to do what is right. It's not simply some ethereal concept of inner spiritual purity, which is what many of us inherited from Western church. It's an action word about right living. It is doing what is right. It is a social, relational word, and it is primarily about living rightness in the community with others. Additionally to this, the Hebrew Bible, justice and righteousness are often put together. In the same way that you put the words just and deserts together, and then they mean something that's more complex than when the words are separate. They become a single complex idea expressed through the use of two words. In the same way, when justice and righteousness are coupled together, and in the, and in the Old Testament, so if you read the Old Testament, you will discover these Near, they're, sometimes they're right next to each other, sometimes they're just near each other within a sentence or is within a paragraph, and this coupling, this bringing of them together paints a more complex picture than simply saying something is just and something is righteous, it is more than simply saying proper right living, or it is like, it's more, it's more than simply saying proper right living. And many biblical scholars will say that it is actually comparable to our double word phrase, social justice. They didn't have the term social justice back then. But that's what righteousness and justice, whenever you see those two together, it is actually talking about social justice. It is about living out rightness in society in a way that cares for all people. That protects those on the margins and those who are oppressed. From those who are using power to oppress and abuse and control. It is doing what is right. It is equity and equality and fairness and impartiality and goodness. When we read the Old Testament, we think of the word salvation. Many of us use the word salvation. We say, I'm saved, right? I'm saved. Well, what does that mean? We're thinking something very, right? Very spiritual. Me and God are good. I'm saved. In the Old Testament, salvation isn't that. Salvation is literally being saved. It's literally being physically saved from enemies. Being physically saved from oppression. Being led physically through a river to safety on the other side. That is salvation. It is a... uh, It is acting justly in a social setting in a way that causes freedom and deliverance. Now, obviously, it also means the rightness between God, um, but that isn't all that's there. Interestingly, in the New Testament, the main word we see is righteousness in English is a word that contains both of these. It actually contains justice and righteousness, the summer we're going to go through Romans, and that word is there all over the place. So I'm not going to spend time on it now, because we're going to have a whole summer to do that. But when, essentially, whenever you see the word righteousness there, you can also read it as justice. Or at least think of it, it has a justice overtone to it. It isn't simply a, um, a spiritual reality. It is to do the right thing. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. That's Psalm 35. Justice and righteousness is of central importance to God in the scriptures. So much so that according to the prophet Amos, it is more important than their worship. Or at least it is a qualifier for what worship that God will accept In Amos' time, the nation Israel was actually very prosperous. Things were actually going pretty well for them. I mean, they always had terrible kings, right? But for the most part, things were going really well at this time. Their worship was great. They had big festivals and assemblies, quality music with instruments and singing psalms. They had the highest quality offerings possible. The best, the most juiciest, fattest animals were there to be sacrificed And this should have been just beautiful to God because it is what God asked for in the Torah. But God says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and green offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. We often like to read this and think of this as, oh, it's because they're doing animal sacrifices, and we know that in Jesus, they're going to do away with that stuff. So that's what Amos is talking about. But that isn't what Amos is talking about. Amos is speaking into a context where they were doing, they were commanded to do animal sacrifices. This isn't foretelling a time when they would do away with animal sacrifices. This is a critique on the worship that they were doing. The practices of their communal worship was just what God had asked them to do, but God wanted nothing to do with it. The smell of their worship—if you're a meat eater—it's like saying the smell of like a barbecue of you know of a uh, what's that really famous rich s- steaks. Magu? Magu? Wagyu! It's like, it's like Wagyu steak on a barbecue in that smell. Except it's making you sick to your stomach and you want to throw up from it. <laughs> That's the picture that God is giving here. These beautiful, amazing barbecue that just smells disgusting to him. Why? Well, sadly, like most every prosperous nation in history, there were all kinds of systemic oppression, it made the powerful more powerful. It made the rich richer at the expense of the poor becoming poorer. The rich, it says here, the rich who made their homes out of stone, they created a tax on straw. Because straw is what the poor had to make their houses out of. So they didn't tax the rocks, they taxed the straw so that the poor would have to pay. Well, they lived in their nice stone homes. Courts that they held at the town gates... The elders, they didn't have lawyers and judges like we did. It was the elders of their community were the ones who stood in the town gates and they played the role of judges. And they were accepting bribes to oppress the innocent and increase the wealth of the privileged. An interesting thing here is in verse 12, the wordplay here in justice is righteousness. It's actually missing in English. For some reason in English, they decided to say the word innocent, but it's actually the word righteous. Righteous. Those who are living rightly are oppressed by those who take bribes and are unjust. Thus they are benefiting from, the elders are benefiting from the oppressors. And these people hated the elders who would actually try to uphold justice. Why did God despise their worship? Because they were not living out justice and righteousness. They claimed to know God. They claimed that God was present with them as we read in verse 14 But through Amos, God is saying, no matter what your worship looks like, if you're not also living out justice and righteousness, if you're oppressing the poor, if you know something is happening that shouldn't be, and you turn your eyes away from it, and you benefit from it, if you do these things, even the sincerest worship becomes a stink in my nose. Because you don't actually know me. If you actually knew me, God says, you wouldn't be like this. If you actually knew me, you wouldn't be seeking evil. And so, therefore, what you're doing in worship isn't worshiping me. Now, this isn't about getting everything right. Anyone who knows me knows it's not about getting everything right. I make mistakes all the time. That's one thing we actually try to do with the musicians. When we make mistakes, we try to laugh, right? Because it's just part of life. It's part of who we are. This isn't about... Uh, getting everything right. It's about knowing God. And if you turn your eyes from oppression, living comfortably off the suffering of others without a thought, you aren't simply in the wrong. It's just you don't know God. We don't know God if we do these things. Because if we actually knew God, we couldn't be okay with them. But instead, let's let justice roll like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. When I was in college... Uh, I used to volunteer playing piano for a number of different churches. One church in particular really appreciated my musicianship, and they had me play there regularly. So to say thank you to me for how much I helped them, the pastor offered to pay for me to go with him and some others down to a huge American megachurch called Willow Creek for an arts conference. A conference that was all about how to lead worship that glorifies God, bringing arts into Christian worship, You know, and thousands of people uh, pilgrimage to this every year. And it was what you'd expect. They brought in the biggest names of Christian music, the biggest names of preaching and and authors to equip worship leaders and how to lead their communities in heartfelt worship. Right? That's beautiful. We spent the week learning about the beauty and the mystery of God, how God loves to be worshipped. And loves when we bring our creativity and artistry to proclaim Jesus and to give glory to God's love and mercy and grace. And we want to do it with, the, with the, our excellence and the best that we have. Along with myself and the other members of the church that went, we were deeply inspired to return to Toronto and worship God through music and arts. The pastor who brought us down especially seemed to have this burning passion to lead his people in deep worship of the living God. It was like he was walking on clouds. He was in such a, just a good space. On the last day of the conference, we all went out for lunch together. It's not fancy, but a nice restaurant to celebrate. The place was hopping. I mean, it's super busy. It's right across from a megachurch, right? During a conference. So it's tons of Christian conference people there. And I noticed that the young woman who was serving us was looking, well, a bit worn down. You could hear in her voice that she was tired. You could see in her face she was deeply stressed. And her clothes and her hair bore the frazzled signs of physically exhausting, nonstop work. At the minimum, she was having a hard day. Though, of course, we never know what's going on in someone's life. And I'm guessing other circumstances beyond just a ton of Christians coming for lunch um, was the end all of her stress. Near the end of our meal, this exhausted young woman was carrying a tray of mostly empty beer glasses. And as she passed by the leader, she stumbled and one of the beer glasses tipped. She passed, uh, as she was passing, the deer glass tipped over and almost as in slow motion, you could watch some beer pouring off the tray and dripping down the breast of this pastor's blazer. And the waitress's face just crumbled in genuinely sorrowful embarrassment. Apologizing profusely, she gathered napkins to dry off his blazer. And I remember thinking, here's a chance to show God's love and offer a moment of grace and light in the midst of a burdensome day. You know, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. I'm going to double your tip. You mean something like that? But instead, the pastor, mere minutes after this Christian experience where he is like walking in the clouds, filled with a new knowledge of God and overflowing passion to lead his congregation in worship, he would not even make eye contact with her. And he simply says in a very loud voice, Get me the manager. And everyone froze. Not sure if he was serious or not. Get me the manager now. So like a frightened and scolded animal slinking away with its tail between its legs, she went off to get the manager while the whole section of this restaurant sat and watched. And when the manager arrived, the pastor says something along the lines of, Your waitress spilled beer all over me. It's completely unacceptable. I am a pastor, and I cannot have my jacket smelling of beer, I need to go home and lead my church in worship, and I cannot have my jacket smelling of beer. And so as the waitress watched from afar with tears in her eyes, insinuating that the woman should not even be allowed to work at the restaurant, the pastor went on to insist that not only will his meal be on the house, but they will also pay for the dry cleaning bill. Because as a pastor of a Christian church, he cannot smell like beer. And then when he paid for the rest of our meals, he left no tip. My heart still sinks when I think of it. Here was an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Grace to the weary, empathy to the laborer, slaving away in a below-living wage job. Generously, generosity to the worn down, and instead he proclaimed over a restaurant of people that in the name of Jesus, pastors at megachurch worship conferences are arrogantly obsessed with their own titles, privilege, and appearances. And it, was, it wasn't just him. I wasn't innocent either. I didn't see it at the time. But I saw what was happening. I knew it was neither good nor right. But I stayed silent. I was so embarrassed, and I didn't say anything. I could have spoken up. Speaking up would have offered her some sense of justice. I could have offered the pastor the opportunity to see what his actions were so he could turn from them and repent from them. I could have gone to the back and given her a tip on my own if I really didn't want to confront the pastor. But whether from fear of conflict or not wanting to make things uncomfortable between myself and this pastor, I silently sat complicit. And as they say, silence is violence. Now, I'm being a bit harsh, right? For, and for the purpose of making a point. Of course, not everyone in a mega church conference loses sight of what actually is about. But I think it is a good picture of how easy it is for us to get caught up in focusing on what our worship looks like in a worship space like this. How easy it is for us to put our head down and stay silent when we see something that isn't Right? Now, I told this story because I thought it was something that we could maybe all relate to on some level. But something that I didn't even know until recently was that this place where people pilgrim, thousands of people pilgrimaged to this church for decades, all the while the leadership was hiding abuses and misconduct done by the pastor. it looked glorious right all the while and women in the church had had been speaking up they had had the courage to speak up and to say something and the leadership ignored them and shut them down and offered them money and non-disclosure agreements the most beautiful Best quality music and authors and books and sales and sales and sales. And all the while, this darkness. And what does Amos say to that? We can sing. Like the people of Israel to whom the prophet Amos was speaking, when the church and its leaders get so focused on the rituals and the performance of worship, but we neglect doing what is right and good, it reveals a significant lack of even knowing who God is. We can sing all the best worship songs, we can produce the best worship albums, grow churches to mega churches, write best-selling books, preach the gospel tent revivals, and see thousands of people get saved but if we do it while well, we're turning our eyes from injustice, knowingly supporting politicians that take bribes or make laws oppressing marginalized groups, if we protect those in power in the face of accusations of abuse and misconduct because we respect them and we've known them to be a good person, so therefore we're not going to listen to, to well, usually women, do we really know who God is? Amos would say No. The hard thing, of course, is what is right, what is good, what is just, isn't always black and white, right? The Old Testament gives us a lot of pretty black and white stuff, blessings or curses, right? As if there's really only two choices, but we know in life, and I think the New Testament opens that up more for us in Jesus to see that it is really nuanced. There is, there if not everything is yes or no, black or white, right or wrong, that there is a lot in the middle that requires integrity requires prayer, requires a willingness to be uncertain. Many things in life, there are no straightforward answers, but we do know is if we are not seeking justice and righteousness, if we are not questioning patterns, discriminations, favoritisms, tribalism, and instead seeking to do what is just and right, then God doesn't have a lot of interest in what we do here on a Sunday morning. Because whoever we're worshiping, if we are participating in, turning away from, and being silent in the face of injustice, who we're worshiping isn't truly God, because we don't know who God is, if we are devoid of justice and righteousness. The good news, of course, is that God's just, that in God's justice and righteousness, God offers us forgiveness and repentance and repair and restoration. Second chances God doesn't expect us to get everything perfect, not the first time, not the tenth time, not the hundredth time. God, I don't think, is looking for perfection, but I think what God does expect is that the more we get to know who God is, the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we can't see any other way forward than living out costly justice and doing what is right. And we can trust the Holy Spirit when we seek God and pursue justice and righteousness We can trust that the Spirit will help us to navigate the complexities of life. All of the gray in between black and white. All of the colors in the middle. So as a church, as individuals, as people who want to love God and want to know God, let us seek good, not evil. Hate evil, love good. Uphold justice. And love the ones who tell the truth. And be the ones who take the risk to speak up. And let justice roll on like a river, righteous like a never-failing stream. Let's pray. God, uh, we sang earlier that you are the one with perfect authority. And Lord, in our broken world... um, we have, it's hard to see and know and even understand what perfect authority could be. We so often see a power and authority even in the church amongst your people being used uh, in ways that are not just or right. So God, we want to lift you places where we know that we have not pursue justice and righteousness. But Lord, we want to stand in your forgiveness and in your mercy that you offer time and time again, knowing that you aren't asking us to be perfect, to be perfectly just and perfectly right, but that every just even little step that we take towards you, every step we take towards being more just and more righteous is a step towards knowing you more and living out the gospel Of Jesus. So help us to love you and help us to be just and righteous people. Amen.